Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hello, welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. This is Sarah Trott, and I'm here with my co-host, Esther Gallagher, and our guest, Kimberly Johnson, who we're welcoming back for the second time. Thank you for being back on our show, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. As a quick reminder, anyone can go to fourthtrimesterpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter or indeed go to Magamama, which you can correct me on how you say it, but magamama.com to sign up for Kimberly's newsletter, which I encourage everyone to do because it's super cool. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, so you can subscribe and get access to a pelvic floor tour video that she does, which I listened to recently and uh, it was phenomenal. I will be listening again. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, that. It's kind of like a, like a pelvic floor walkabout with some um, differentiation so that people know really how to do Kegels since everybody thinks they should be doing Kegels all the time, like what exactly it is. Mm-hmm. That's there, handy. There are different kinds. It sort of blew my mind. So it's really cool. Um, so on our last episode with you, we touched on a number of topics um, pelvic floor health, sexuality, postpartum, um, even some body image stuff. So anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, please do listen. Um, but for this episode, we thought we could talk a little bit about identity as, as a mother. Yes. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, you know, before I ever became a mother, I had my own relationship with my mother. And I think that everyone could agree that between or let's say most people would agree that between all the choices of combinations of father, daughter, father, son, mother, son, mother, daughter, in a way, the most complex of those is mother, daughter. And it's how, you know, it's, it's the continuation of the lineage through birthing. So like most people, my relationship with my mother was multifaceted it wasn't just one way and I'd say it was it was complex complex it was complicated and as such it was even a challenge for me to decide if I wanted my own mom to to be at my birth which for me was a big decision because I lived in another country and uh, my mom traveled to the country I was in Brazil so that she could be with me and she came at 40 weeks and I went to 43 weeks and um my midwife didn't speak very good English and my uh, daughter's father didn't speak English. There's a lot of dynamics in choosing that. And what I noticed in becoming a mother was just how my relationship with my mother changed and influenced the kind of mother that I wanted to be. And, and the chapter in my book that's on this is called Discovering the Mother That You Are. So... We have all of these influences about what is a mother, what, and then we have these influences of what is a good mother, and then we have the choice about recognizing who we are as a person, who we are as a woman, and who we are as a mother. 
So like a very basic example is like my mom is very traditional kind of mom. Like she is a Betty Crocker mom. She let, now she's an interior designer, but when I was growing up, she was the mom who made chocolate chip cookies when I came home from school, who loved hand sewing Halloween costumes, who's like really good at cleaning, like doesn't even think about it and cleans while she's talking. And <laughs> I... Sorry. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I mean, just, just the way you describe it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So she has these very traditional characteristics of what a, a good mother is. And I thought, okay, you know, I just, I didn't really get it that being a mom is also being like a general manager. And I have like terrible production and management organization skills. And then when I became a mom, I was like, wow, like there's a whole lot more that goes into this. And these are not my strengths. Like housekeeping actually isn't a strength of mine. And when I realized that, it's like, okay, so then what do I think about myself because of that? Like, am I a failure as a mom because I'm not that mom? And, um, you know, this conversation is so deep and so complex, but I think the main idea of it is that as we become mothers, and I only have one child, so I haven't done that multiple times, but I know that we awaken to ourselves as a mother in a different way each time. And our archetypal reference points are kind of limited in Western culture about what a mother is. And because we are living in an individualistic culture and we don't have a lot of, you know, what it, like a sociologist would call like an extended kinship network, we, we hold ourselves to a very high degree of perfectionism on motherhood because we're not distributing that task. So I love like Clarissa Pinkola Estes says that even if you have the best mother, like even if you won the jack, you know, the mother jackpot, you still need todas las madres. You still need all the mothers. So that really, what that means to me is like each of us is only one facet of the gem. And even in, in and of that, I mean, we're all such multifaceted beings. But like for me personally, like what I do well as a mother is I'm very emotionally attuned. I'm sensitive um, and I'm creative and I'm playful. And some of those things I certainly got from my mom. The things I'm not good at are routine, um, doing the same thing at the same time every day. Um, sometimes I'm not good at being emotionally consistent. Sometimes I'm unsure about um, boundaries of what's appropriate for that relationship and what's not appropriate for that relationship. And so if I surround myself with other women, then my daughter gets to experience and my mom and, you know, my grandmother, she gets to experience, Oh, this is that version of womanhood. Like, Oh, grandma is really fancy and she loves getting dressed up and wearing high heels and, um, spending lots of time in front of the mirrors. That's like, wow, that's a really, that's like an Aphrodite version of femininity. And then, Oh, wow. My mom's like really fierce and really opinionated and, you know, strong and, I think that when we can see it in, in this way, that really we are meant to have a team, a tribe, a community of people that are raising children 
it takes some of the pressure off of us to be the perfect mother, to be the mother that is all of those things, which is impossible. Well, not only that, but I like the way you're saying it. I would, I would reinforce to be the mother. I mean, I think we're the birth mother, mm-hmm. perhaps, you know, maybe we're not right. But um, I also think the one of the mirrors on what you're saying is that it also invites other people to come in closer and, and be whatever it is they are in relationship to a kid, right? I think so much of what you can experience as a mom, and I think in particular, perhaps as a single mother sometimes, is, oh, I'm supposed to do all this, and everyone else is not, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, thank goodness for the people who are willing to come in close and spend time and be who they are around my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's nice for her and that's nice for me. It's a resource. Right. Yeah. And we, and we learn about interdependence that way. And we learn about giving and receiving. And certainly that was a huge part of my identity that shifted as well was really the kind of friend that I could be. I used to be a friend that was the glue, the friend that reached out, the friend that was always there, the friend that would buy the plane ticket to make the visit. And then I had a baby on my own. And it was like, I can't be that friend anymore. And what does that mean? And what does that mean in my community? And I think also, you know, this idea that we're, I mean, I feel like I'm sure, I'm sure you are, you both are in these conversations a lot too, but I mean, we're just constantly combating this image of the superwoman, this, this image of like, you know, that we can do it all, have it all, be it all. And if we're not, you know, and you're in my office three weeks postpartum and you don't understand why you're feeling tired. And then, oh, you're in my office 10 weeks postpartum and you don't understand why you're not farther along. And everyone's feeling this pressure to be to be farther healed, to be more put together, to be, you know, the best partner, the best mom. And so And to need nothing. Yeah. And to yeah, and we don't even know how to receive it or how to ask for it. So I think that, that that's one of the huge gifts of this period of time is really softening into our vulnerability that's it's not that's crazy thing is it's not even necessarily a personal vulnerability I mean it's a it's a time of life vulnerability but nevertheless it's a big opportunity to mature into realizing you know what it's just not true like I really actually can't do this all myself and if I do it's taking a huge toll on my health a huge toll on my relationship a huge toll on my physical health so that brings me to one thing that I wanted to make sure that I mentioned, which I learned before I had a child, which was from reading Mother Maya's book, um, Women's Power to Heal Through Inner Medicine, and reading uh, Christian Northrup's book, Mother Daughter Wisdom. Both of them are very clear that in treating women for all kinds of reproductive and, let's say, women's health issues, that at the headwaters of that is the mother daughter relationship. And because the postpartum dialogue is so stilted towards postpartum depression, 
I think it's really, really worth it to mention that when we become mothers, our relationship to our mothers and our relationship to our mother lineage is awakened in us. And so we will have all of a sudden an ability to see our mother from a mother point of view, and then we will relive our mother from a daughter point of view. So if people have had mothers in very complicated, sometimes abusive, you know, relationships, or they were not mirrored well as infants, that that is possibly being awakened in their psyche, not only possibly, probably, and can contribute to those feelings of lack of connection, of, of like a difficulty in attachment that can feel very confusing. Because no one ever told me that. No one ever said, and, and I feel like I was mothered very well in, in my early months, but nobody ever said to me, you know, as your child grows, you're going to relive those stages that your infant and your and your toddler are at as they go through that. I sort of had to figure that out myself. And it's very complex when your children in, are in pre-verbal stages that are activating your own pre-verbal <laughs> attachment stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that it's really worth it to, to look at our relationships with our mothers and our culture, this American culture, that North American, whatever, United States culture that we live in, we have, we give ourselves a lot of permission to be very hard on our mothers. Like we give ourselves a lot of permission, you know, it's, it's okay here to like move far away from your parents and then just separate from them. And, um, you know, it's so complex most of the time, you know, as advocates for women getting care in the fourth trimester, we're often trying to get them to have extended family network, you know, to, to, rally the troops, so to speak, like, who do you have in your life that will come and stay with you and take care of you and help you? And oftentimes that's family. And it's so conflicting for most women to invite mothers, fathers, mothers-in-laws, fathers-in-law. And most people will say, well, I just want it to be me and my husband and or me and my partner. And then it's like, as an educator, it's like, well, I get that. And let me just tell you, like, your partner's going to need support too. And you need more support than just two people. So who could that possibly be? And um, what we don't do as much is realize, you know, what are the things that I do want to carry forth from my lineage? And I'd ask everybody, even listening, to just give that a thought. Make that a journaling entry for a morning. Like, what are... what are the parts of my mom that I actually want to repeat? What did I, what am I carrying forward in my parenting? And when we get really honest about that and we express that to our parents, the dynamic completely changed because instead of being petulant kids who are pissed off about what we didn't get, all of a sudden we become grateful adults and that changes the entire matrix because parents, just like we're feeling like we're not giving enough to our infants, Parents feel responsible for all the way, all the things and ways they feel like they didn't do well with us. And they don't often give themselves permission to take responsibility for the things that we've done really well. And if they've parented well, we should be a higher evolution than they are. We should be carrying forth the best of the possible characteristics that, that they gave to us. And so uh, identifying those positive things and then not only that, but expressing them can be a really powerful way to create an atmosphere that you want your child to be in so there's less avoidance and eye-rolling and 
um, division really mm-hmm. in family. Well, I'm going to just uh, insert a little plug at this point because I think that in our culture in particular, um, and we've talked about this on the podcast in the early, early days of the podcast, that so often I'm being recruited, hired um, to be a postpartum doula because of the complex relationships people have with their parents and a sense of not being well connected to family members in terms of being nurtured um, and nourished. And so that's a big discussion for us in, in the trajectory of this, this and the history of this podcast. And um, I think there's a lot there in the early podcasts for for parents of parents to be um, or new parents mm. or even p- potentially not so new parents in terms of what is it? <laughs> you know, what, what do our kids need when they're becoming parents? And some parents might also not feel capable of giving that support. And they're probably very grateful to pay someone else to hire the doula on behalf of their children. Yeah. I mean, I don't think parents are replacements for postpartum doulas because it's a completely, you know, I mean, a postpartum doula is somebody that a woman can count on and and that's going to come and have a completely, you know, there's not going to be all these potential triggers that there would be with a parent. It's just oh, hopefully um, not. <laughs> yeah. But also vice versa, wouldn't you say? Like, I don't think that like I there's no sense in which I can bring uh, the wonderful richness that the complication of your relationship <laughs> to your parents is going to bring you. There's so much that you're pointing to, Kimberly, in terms of all the potential to uh, learn and grow as a human in the process of also being a parent that we can dive into um, in terms of our ancestral relationships, whatever those are. I'm hearing two strong themes and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on how, on what you think about this, but it seems as though there's two things that have to happen um, one may be a prerequisite for the other, and that is loving oneself enough to feel worthy and deserving of working on themselves and loving themselves enough to want to go on that journey of self-discovery. And then two, kind of knowing how, how to go about that self-discovery. Like if there's someone listening who thinks this is a great idea, but where do I start? Like, where would they where would they find that information? First of all, how do they feel worthy? And then secondly, where where do they start? Yeah, the worthiness piece is one that's really big on my mind because I feel so passionate about the work that I do and I feel like um it's just like the nexus of women's health in a way that is has so much potential for women to heal and mature in so many different directions 
And I get very frustrated because a lot of women contact me and they tell me these really intense stories, you know, like they'll write it out and it will be even hard to read, you know, like these Mm -hmm. birth stories that are just, you know, it's, I mean, where they just prepared for one thing and another thing happened and then they they're four and a half months postpartum and they've gone to 12 visits with different doctors and everyone's telling them everything's fine, but they don't feel fine. And then they come in and I'm, I'm like, no, obviously this isn't fine. But -hmm. when those people write me their stories and then I tell them what I charge and then they write back and say, Oh, I have to talk to my husband. And then I never hear back from them. And it's very frustrating to me how little women are willing to invest in themselves. Cause I know that if it was their baby, they would just, they wouldn't say, I'm going to ask my husband. They would be like, Oh, my baby needs this. And what's happening is that so many women are not caring for themselves, that their anxiety is getting displaced onto their baby. And so people are doing all these tongue tie cutting and it's like the incidence of that is like, so, I mean, Whereas 15 years ago, 1% of babies are tongue-tied or lip-tied. Now it's like 50%. And and it's all because women aren't being both being supported and valuing themselves enough to rally the support, pay for it, save for it, whatever it is. And people don't know. So they know to get childbirth education. They know to pay attention to the kind of birth that they want. But they don't know, save up for postpartum. And like, yeah. pre- like... Put, put your resources there. If you, want to, if you want to actually be stronger as a mother on the other side of these 40 days, 60 days, three months, then there needs to be a support system in place. And so, I mean, I can't really say how for someone to value themselves enough. What I can say is that it will return to you exponentially. And rather than waiting, waiting until it's so bad that you're so deep in a pit that you don't know even which direction to go, which is, you know, people just, they wait. They wait until it's like, I can't possibly bear this anymore. I'm wetting my pants all the time. Or I can't possibly bear this anymore because I won't even look at my partner. Or I can't possibly bear this because I want to have another kid, but I'm so terrified because of my last birth. It's like, let's have some long-term thinking and value our health, like value what we're contributing, not because I, I hate that analogy of the put your own mask on first. I think that's bullshit. And especially as a single mm-hmm. parent, that's just so yeah. not what parenting is like. Like it's just how many times I was like up in the middle of the night for hours and hours on end. And there's no such thing as like me getting self-care first. Right. Um, there's no not getting up. Yeah, there's not a choice. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go for a walk around the block right now and lock my kid in the room. It's just like it's what it takes is actually stamina and steadfastness and like crazy amounts of like spiritual warriorship. But so, yeah, so valuing yourself, all I can do is speak to what I know to be true, which is if you do it preemptively, you save yourself a lot of time, space, heartache, perhaps even your relationship if you have one. Like, that's what's on the line. Like, I kind of want to tell these women, like, we have your partner call me because I'm pretty sure that they want to have an intimate life for you with you. And I'm pretty sure that if you're wetting your pants, like, nonstop or sex is painful or you just don't feel like yourself, that's not going to come online for a really long time. So I'm pretty sure that 
$150 or $200 or $400 is worth it when we're talking about like your relationship over time. Or think of, I mean, I, you know, this may, may seem extreme to some people, but you know, people don't budget for getting cancer either. Right. But if they got it, yeah, they would pay right to try not to have cancer. Right. And what would their justification be? I have family members, you know, I, I I don't want to leave my family. I'm not ready. Okay. Well, (laughs) here you are having a life, right? And nobody budgets for life. Yeah. You just get a life and then you live through it. And sadly, we live in a capitalist culture where this kind of stuff costs money. Um, That is sad. I mean, you, I'm sure Kimberly, you and I would give ourselves away if somebody paid our rent, made sure we had groceries, right? Like we would do this work because we were born to do this work. Our lives have been- But you know what? People also, I'm sure it's the same for you. I mean, we don't get it. You don't get into birth work because you're, it's just, I was a yoga teacher before this. I just laugh at myself. It's like, I go from like one poverty mentality career to the next, but it doesn't, (laughs) it's, if somebody wants to work with me, they figure it out because they bang yes. on my door until they say, can I give you a payment plan and pay you $30 a month yeah. for the next 12 months? When, of course, yeah. I'm going to say yes to that. Of course. But yeah. it's, it, that, though, that's not what happens. People do have – people drive up – I was doing a pay what you can day. People drive up in a BMW SUV to, to pay me <laughs> a third of my rate. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this, but this speaks to value. And yes, now I'm does. getting better about it for myself because I'm like, I'm in the mother martyr where like, you know, I'm a single parent and I'm doing all these things and I, I'm definitely not driving a BMW SUV. So how serious are we? And I, I, I really, I've never heard like this cancer analogy, but it's true. I mean, if you got in a car accident and you totaled your car, you'd have yeah. to figure out a way to come up with the money. Right. And our health and our intactness is that important. And, and and if people think, oh, it's just a little leak here and there, so I'm going to get these freaking special underwear that, like, mm-hmm. will not get wet. Well, how do you think you're going to be when you're 60 or 70 or 80? Mm-hmm. Like, you, I mean, it's just going to get worse. And people don't realize until they come and attend to it. And, if I mean, whether that's mental health, whether it's a physical injury, whether it's attending to your mother lineage, they don't realize how many other areas – including how their ability to show up as a parent is. Like, it's not like, oh, it's just going on in your own mind. It's happening because you're in the mother-baby matrix. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if if the mother lineage part is the part that someone's interested in, like there's a chapter in my book, which will be back out in November. There's, I really do like the two books I mentioned earlier which we can add to the show notes. Um, Great. I love, love, love Laura Gutman's book about, um, it's in English, it's called Maternity, Coming Face-to-Face with Your Own Shadow. It's a beautiful Uh, book (laughs) about this and, you know, engaging it, engaging it and recognizing how, what are, what's current? What about how you're relating with your your own mother or the mother inside you is really the mother that you want to be and taking taking stock of those archetypes like we've got 
you know, we've got the virgin mother. Okay, so that's a whole other piece of this conversation that we'll go into another time, which is like, what does a sexy mother look like? Yeah. Like we've got the virgin mother, but what's a sexy mother? What's a seductive mother? Does that, do you have any models of that? How does that resonate in you? Perhaps that's affecting how you can engage with your partner if that feels incoherent. So there's just so many ways that our identity shifts. And we don't really talk a lot about that in Western culture of like, you know, transformation sounds really good. Everybody wants to transform, but it's painful. There's things that die and have to let go in our identity as we birth a new part of our identity. Absolutely. Yeah. And when that's happening, that grief and loss is real and a worthy engagement in an in and of itself. And I think so much of how we're asked to be mothers is some sort of sterilized version from an emotional social standpoint, right? Like we're told, whoa, you have to always have a happy face on for your baby or your baby's going to be depressed, right? Mm -hmm. Well, no, I think babies are made to read our affects, whatever they are. Mm -hmm. And that's how they learn whether or not they're safe and whether the environment is healthy or not. And yes, it'd be nice if we're not depressed and not low affect twenty four seven, and that might take work. It doesn't take. It doesn't help to be shamed into it. It means. It means we need to be invited to have a broader experience, right? Yes. And not just one experience, including the sanitized. Mom's always happy. Everything's fucking great all the time. Mm-hmm. Version. So, yeah, I, um, I love talking with you, Kimberly. You're just so fiery about all this. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all so important and all so deep in the mix. Um, yeah. Do you want to, um, say a little bit more about sort of the variations on the archetypal mother. That's always fun to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you probably have a lot to say about it too, but I just, um, you know, an archetype is sort of what our culture projects out there as kind of extreme versions of certain qualities. And if we look to other cultures like Hinduism that's a culture and a religion, but, um, you know, for Christianity and the version of Christianity that we have in the U S and Catholicism that's you know, pervasive in South America where I was living, there's just not that many options for how, for the expression of womanhood and the expression of mother. I mean, I remember when I read the red tent by Anita diamond, which is such a, great book it really gave this feeling sense of what it's like to have so many different versions of womanhood and you know some women are giving birth to babies and giving it to their sister and some you know acknowledging that sometimes you might have a stronger relationship with a nephew or another person around than you do with your own child and Mm -hmm. we just don't allow for those realities you know like that you could have a kid that you don't like 
Like that's possible, you know? Like I always yeah. tell my daughter I feel so lucky because I actually really like her and that I feel yeah. like I would choose to be around her. But that's not true for everyone. And and it doesn't mean that we've done anything wrong. It's right. just like these are souls and humans and we have some input and we have some not input. Some things are out of our control and some things are in our control. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important part, again, is this, softening around the perfection of what it is to have to be it all, to be the perfect mom, whatever that is. And just to come back to the knowingness that we're on this planet as mammals with other humans for a reason. And part of that is so that our children can experience a diverse characterization and a diverse feeling sense of what it's like to be human in different bodies in different forms mm-hmm. yeah and in different moments mm-hmm. right I was thinking about how um, we're gonna be interviewing uh, someday very soon uh, Janice Kaiser who wrote Becoming the Parent You Want to Be and um, how she talks about, you know, at different ages and stages of development on the part of your child, but also naturally, I think, instinctively on your own part, like they're just going to be developmental phases that parents either really relate to and enjoy or really relate to and don't enjoy or don't relate to at all in the, you know, in the trajectory of their baby becoming a five-year-old eventually um and that uh that's kind of what's true you know you're not going to like every phase you're not going to know how to how to settle into every phase of your child's development but I would say because I'm old now you know like that's true for myself like had I not had kids (laughs) you know I'm looking back over 57 years and going boy some of that was really freaking awkward awkward and difficult and Mm. some of it was really grief stricken and Mm. some of it was just pure joy easy peasy happy you know and that's you know simultaneously someone else that I was in relationship was having their own trajectory and we interfaced nicely at those times sometimes and didn't at others and that's a life and that's what you're doing with your kids Yes. If you're a parent. So, yeah. (laughs) Kimberly, um, we're going to wrap up now. This, of course, was just another excellent session. And I know that we could go on for about an hour and a half. I wish we could. Um, Yeah, thanks for having me back. We're happy to have you. So, um, yeah, that's uh, uh, people who are listening to Kimberly and I and Sarah today Uh, won't necessarily be listening on International Women's Day, but it is International Women's Day today while we're chatting and um, just want to acknowledge that. I I like to think every day is Women's Day. Yeah, me too. I think it is in our lives. Yes, of course. Yeah, absolutely right. I kind of I got a bit. Of, I like had to admit I did a little bit of an eye roll today because it's like people are like, are you going to strike and not work? I'm like, no, because this is like what I do every single day. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, when you work on when you do your work on behalf of women, then every day is Women's Day. 
Um, and you don't not work when women need your help, right? That's so right. That's the deal. So wonderful. Well, thank you. Great to chat with you again, Kimberly, and take care. And we'll see everybody back on our next podcast. Perfect. Thanks. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. You can find out more about Esther Gallagher on estergallagher.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears you ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake